Turn to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. If you don't mind, I'm going to take my suit coat off. It's a little warm out here. Especially with this beard, too. I'm not used to this thing, and I'm telling you what, it's actually warm. I'm going to, uh, I, I said that I was going to grow it during the whole coronavirus thing, and when this thing was over, I was going to shave it off, but it went on a whole lot longer than I thought it was going to go, so I think I'm going to shave, I was going to shave it off last night, and my wife said, I don't know if I'd do that. I said, might be a whole lot of white underneath here. Who knows what it looks like under this thing, so she said, you might want to wait till Monday. I said, all right, it's a good idea. I think I will, so I'm planning to get rid of this thing tomorrow. We'll see what happens, but uh, anyway, I know, Brother Bill, it's, it's, it's the brotherhood of the beards, but I got to, I got to. I don't know. It's just, I don't, I don't mind the way it looks. I just, uh, I, I just got to get rid of this thing. But Romans chapter seven this morning, and uh, I hate to revisit what we talked about last week. Or I, I shouldn't say I hate to, but uh, we talked about running our Christian race. And um, I don't do it anymore, but I used to run marathons. I've done, I've done four of them. But one of the things that's the most difficult when you're running a marathon is not necessarily the beginning. Uh, the start of the race is, is pretty exciting because you've been training. You're finally, it's finally race day. You're, you're still fresh. You got everybody out there that's running with you. And, and uh, the end of the race, it's grueling, but it's exciting because the crowds are lining the last mile or two of the race and people are starting to you know, cheer you on. And so even though it's, you know, you're dead, uh, you, can, you can keep plotting those last couple miles because there's people there to help cheer you on. But I'll tell you what the most difficult part is, is the middle. Because what happens in the middle is you get to the point where you're, you're no longer fresh. You're still too far from the finish line to see it, to smell it, to know that it's coming. The race is long, and so people have gotten spread out. And for a good part of the race, you're running this thing by yourself. Even there might be a lot of runners in this race, but you're still running in the middle of it by yourself a lot of times because you just it just spreads out over 26 miles. That's what happens. The only way to get to the end of the race is just dig deep and to power through. Rely on your training, rely on the water and the Gatorade stops, rely on the, the other nutrients or whatever else that maybe you're carrying with you, and just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And I'll tell you this, we all get to the point in our lives when we just feel like we're living in, in a funk spiritually. That happens. Sometimes you might be on the top of the mountain. Sometimes you might feel like you're in the valley spiritually. And it feels like we're walking through mud when we wish we were walking on air. Oh, everybody wants to walk on air spiritually. And when you have those times when you just feel like you're really right with God, it's great. Sometimes, and a lot of times, unfortunately, in our lives, it happens where we're just in that downtime spiritually. And you want to get back up to the top of that spiritual mountain, but how do you get there? How do you get up to the top? How do you get out of that mud? How do you get out of that funk and get back up to the top of the mountain spiritually? It's not to say that we don't have a desire to do right or that we don't try to live right, but we all have times when we're just, we're just not where we want to be spiritually. Paul says this in Romans chapter 7, and this, this, uh, people have referred to this as Paul being lost in the woods. Romans chapter 7 and verse number 14 says this, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. 
Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good which I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that, I would not. It's no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law, that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warning against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Thank God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, this, so then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. It's very confusing if you are just reading through that. You've got to kind of take time to, to weed through everything that he's saying. But the crux of what Paul is saying is, the things that I want to do, I find so hard to do. And the things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing so easily and so often. He said, not that I don't want to do it, I, I want to do those things. But then when I do the things that are spiritual, I find that the flesh is there too. And I find that the flesh is fighting against me. It's not that I don't want to do these things, I just, how do I do it? And he finally comes to that conclusion in verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am. How do I get out of that situation? Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He's saying, how, how can I get out of the woods? The good that I would, that I do not. And the evil which I would not, that I do. He doesn't want to do those things, but he finds himself doing these things that he wishes he wouldn't do. So how do you get out of that? That's what he's asking. That's the question that he's asking. And so the message title this morning is just simply this, Powering Through. Powering Through. It's not a self-help message this morning. It's not, oh, you can do it if you just try harder. That's the, that seems to be the message in our world today. You can do it. You got all the good in you that you need. You got every bit of strength that you need inside of you. Just summon that inner strength. Now, there's more to it than that, but we can power through. We can power through. How do you get through that spiritual low time in your life and get back up on the mountain? I want to give you three things this morning that we can do when we get in a rut that will help us to once again begin to experience spiritual victory in our lives. Powering through. Let's pray and we'll talk about that this morning. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. What a blessing it is to be here this morning and to be able to meet this way. It's not meeting in church, but it's still meeting as the church, and we thank you so much for that. God, I pray that you give us a blessing from being here that you give us exactly what we need this morning as well, in Jesus' name, amen. What do you do when you get into a rut spiritually? Now, these things are not going to be easy things because obviously you have a flesh that is fighting 100% against you climbing out of that mud and climbing out of that muck and getting back up on the mountain. But the first thing is this, pray hard. Pray hard. I'm a Christian, obviously, but praying is hard. Uh, sometimes it feels more like a chore. Well, the Bible says I have to pray, so I guess I will. I know everybody's been there before. Everybody's been in that situation before. I hate my thought process sometimes in that because sometimes it really makes me feel like a bad Christian. And perhaps it, it's because I am. But it's what Paul is saying. I want to pray, just sometimes I don't feel like it. I, I, I know that it's a good thing to do, but just sometimes the good that I would do, I, I don't. I'm sure I, I can't be the only one who feels that way sometimes. We all have our struggles as Christians. The, the problem is just admitting to these struggles and giving them to God. And so many times we make this determination, I'm going to do it. I'm going to determine, you know what, I'm going to power through this thing. And it lasts a week. 
or it lasts two weeks, and then you find yourself right back in that same rut spiritually. When we feel like we're not in a state of mind spiritually to do something for God, we have to pray our way out. That's as simple as it is. Beg God for His help in taking the steps necessary to move forward. In the standardized math test, Japanese children consistently score higher than American children. And, you know, a lot of people assume that it's maybe a natural proclivity toward mathematics and things like that, but their study found out that that's not, that's not what it is. Well, they found out, and they did a study on this, and what they did was they, they took some math problems that were obviously way too difficult for these kids, problems that they were probably never going to solve, and set them down, and they said, figure out these math problems. And so the American kids and the Japanese kids sat down to do it, and what they found is that the, the researchers weren't interested in whether or not the children could solve the puzzle. They were trying to see how long they would sit there and see if they could figure it out. And the American kids lasted just over nine minutes. The Japanese children lasted almost 14 before they finally quit and said, there's no way that I can figure this thing out. And so what these researchers came to the conclusion after all of their study and everything else is that the Japanese kids tried 47% longer than the American kids. Is it any wonder why they score higher on math exams? Researchers came to that conclusion that the difference in math scores might have actually less to do with intelligence and more to do with persistence. They were first graders. But those Japanese first graders just simply tried harder. The study not only explains the difference, I think, in standardized math scores, but the implications are true no matter where you turn. Doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter whether it's athletics or academics or music or math or prayer. There are no shortcuts. There's only, there are no substitutes. Success only comes by persistence. And I could go into a whole thing about prayer this morning. We're not necessarily talking about prayer, but look at the stories that we see in the Bible about persistence. In fact, turn over to Luke chapter 18. Often when we're struggling spiritually, we know that the only way out of a slump is to just keep praying, but that's when prayer is the hardest to do. And I know I'm not telling you something that you don't know. Prayer is a difficult thing when you don't feel spiritual. How can I go and pray to God? I, I, I know what I've done. God doesn't want to hear me. I don't feel like talking to Him. When your heart is not right with God, one of the last things that you want to do many times is go and pray. But that's when you need it the most. That's when we have to do it the most. And sometimes it just takes doing it, getting on your knees and saying, God, I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like talking to you. You probably don't feel like talking to me, but I need to. I must. It's a habit that has to be cultivated. It's a discipline that has to be developed. And I don't want to try to reduce prayer to just time log. That's not what prayer really is. But I know this for sure. The bigger the dream, the harder you're going to have to pray. And the more you want to be right with God, the more you're going to have to pray. The higher you want to go up that spiritual mountain, the more you're going to have to pray. Luke chapter 18 and verse number 1. He spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. In other words, this, and Jesus is telling a parable. It's a story. But he's like, this, this guy, this judge, was, was not a Christian. He didn't care anything about spirituality. He didn't go to church on Sunday. He didn't worship God. None of those things. He was just, just a heathen. But, verse number 3, there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, 
Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cried day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? You see what God is saying here, what Jesus is saying in this parable. This guy is just an unjust judge, but he said, I don't fear God, I don't fear man, I don't care, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm just going to give her what she wants so she'll stop. And God, Jesus says in this parable, don't you understand what's going on here? This guy's just, he's an, hear what the unjust judge saith. He's just a carnal man, but because of this woman's persistence, he gave her what she wants. Don't you think, and this is the question that Jesus asks, that God is willing to do that and more with those that belong to him? You cry day and night to him, he's going to give you what you want. That per, the parable of this persistent widow shows us what persistent prayer looks like, what praying hard looks like, knocking until your knuckles are raw, crying until your voice is lost, pleading until your tears run dry. Praying hard is praying through. And if you pray through, God is going to come through. Now, praying hard, and I, I'm not, again, I'm not going to get into a whole thing about prayer this morning, but praying hard is two-dimensional. Praying like it depends on God, but working like it depends on you. Oh, we got to have faith, but, we, but with our faith comes works. And you can, you know, oh, God, please mow this grass for me. But if you're not willing to work, the grass is not going to mow itself. God might give you the ability and the equipment and, the, and everything else that you need to mow it. But work and pray, they go together. They go hand in hand. The persistent widow's methodology was unorthodox. Now, she could have and technically should have waited for her court date. Obviously, their system was probably a little bit different than ours, but for the most part, it was the same. The judge would hear their court on the date that they set. She went to this guy's house and begged him and begged him, please, this is what I want. Please give it to me. But that reveals something about the nature of God, I think. Uh, going to this judge, going to his house, crossed a professional line. He probably could have even gotten a restraining order against her and everything else, but... I think what this says is that God couldn't really care less about protocol when it comes to coming before him. You don't have to be on your knees at, in church at the altar to pray and beg God to do something for you. You can be anywhere. You can go to him anywhere, anytime. If he did, Jesus would have chosen the Pharisees as his disciples, but that's not who Jesus honored, right? Jesus doesn't care about the religious protocols of the day and all this stuff. Jesus honored a harlot who crashed a party at one of these rich guys' houses to anoint his head and his feet. Jesus honored a tax collector who climbed a tree just to get a glimpse of Jesus. Jesus honored the four friends who cut in line and cut a hole in someone's roof because they were trying to get somebody to Jesus. That's unorthodox, but those were people who were desperate to get to Christ. And he answered their, their request. He, he honored their prayers. And in this parable, Jesus honored the woman who drove a judge crazy because she just wouldn't stop knocking. The common denominator in each of those stories is, I think, a holy desperation. They were desperate for God to do something through their lives. People took desperate measures to get to God, and God honored them for it. Nothing has changed. God's still honoring those who defy protocol with their bold prayers. God's still honoring those who pray with, with audacity and who pray with tenacity. And sometimes the prayer goes, well, 
Look at this building. It's a six million dollar building. God, God doesn't want to hear us come ask him about six million dollars. No, absolutely he does. And the more you come to him and the more you say, God, this property is already yours. The guy that thinks that he owns this property is just on loan from you. This is yours. He's just got the title to it. God can give us this. God can do whatever he wants to do with it. God can give us the $6 million to pay the, for the property or he can give us the property. It's his. And the more we pray audacious, bold prayers, the more God's willing to give us those things. We have to pray the hardest when it's the hardest to pray. Turn over to Psalm 50. Prayer is something that we can get in the habit of doing just as much as we get in the habit of doing anything else. We all, well, most, brush our teeth every morning. Brush our teeth every morning, right? I think I can say all of us do. We brush our teeth in the morning. Why do you do that? Well, partly because you smell your own breath and you feel your teeth and you're like, i got to brush these things, but partly because you've done it every day for most of your life, right? You get in the habit of doing other things for most of us, and now my habit is to wake up, go put my running clothes on, and walk out the door because I have to go run a mile now that I agreed to do this. I come back in, I make my coffee, I drink it, I get my shower, I brush my teeth. I mean, you, you have your routine, and, and obviously things can change that, but it's a habit. You just do it because that's what you do. And prayer can be the same way. Whether it's a specific time that you pray, or when you're driving down the road and you spend this amount of time praying, or whatever it is, prayer can become a habit, a very good habit, just as much as anything else that you do. They say it takes 21 days for something to become a habit. Make prayer the first thing you do in the morning. Make prayer the last thing you do at night. Make prayer the habit that you do when you're driving in the car. I, I, I used to run and listen to headphones, you know, I used to wear headphones and listen to music or podcasts or whatever when I was running. Now, I mean, because, especially because I do it every single day, that's one of the times that I use to pray. It's just a great opportunity to talk to God and you're, you know, dying. God, please help me get to the next, get home. No, I'm, I'm kidding, but, but it's a great time to pray and, and you develop habits of when you can pray. It only takes 21 days to do it. Well, I just, I, for some reason, I just can't get consistent in my prayer. I just can't get consistent in my Bible reading. It takes 21 days. Make a chart with 21 marks on it. And make sure you do it every, every day for 21 days. And you know what? By the end of those 21 days, you won't even have to keep marks because you'll just continue doing it. It'll be a habit that you can get into, a good habit. The only way to break into a prayer life is to just start praying. And many times we get into one of these spiritual low, low points in our lives when we stop praying. We get into that spiritual funk when we stop praying. How do you get back to that? I'm in a low point. I'm walking through mud. How do I get out of it? You just got to start. You just got to do it. When it feels like your prayers are not breaking through the ceiling, just pray. When it feels like, like heaven is silent on something you've been begging for, just pray. If he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, then everything is at his disposal. He can answer your prayer. It says this in Psalm 50 in verse number 10. For every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle upon a thousand hills. Now, Dallas Theological Seminary has a lot of issues that I don't agree with necessarily. They've kind of moved from where they originally started, uh, when they started. But, but back in the early days of Dallas Theological Seminary opening their doors, they almost closed because of bankruptcy right after they opened. 
And before their 1929 commencement day, the faculty gathered together in the president's office to pray that God would provide. They needed money. They had to have this money in order to stay open. And so they formed a prayer circle, and when it was Harry Ironside's turn, and there's a name that I'm sure you're familiar with, he circled Psalm 50 and verse 10. And he prayed a simple prayer. He said, Lord, we know you own the cattle on a thousand hills. Please sell some of them and send us the money. That's the prayer that he prayed. And while that faculty was praying, a $10,000 answer was delivered. And if you think about 1929, $10,000 was a lot of money back then. A Texas cattle rancher had sold two carloads of cattle. And in a moment, that's, that's really reminiscent of the day that they were praying for Peter to be released. And he showed up at the door, and they didn't believe that it was Peter. But the secretary, the president's secretary, interrupted the prayer meeting by knocking on the president's door. And Dr. Lewis Ferry Schaefer was the president of Dallas Theological Seminary at the time, and he founded Dallas Theological Seminary. He answered the door, and she handed him the answer to their prayer. And of course, these men were still in a circle there praying. And he turned to his friend, and he said, Harry, God sold the cattle. And that's exactly what God can do for us through prayer. Are you struggling spiritually? Do you want to be right with God, but you just feel like you're in a place where you can't get anything moving? Pray hard. Believe that God can answer that prayer and that you'll find, what, what you'll find is that he'll put you in the right spirit to start getting things right with God and get things turned around. We can power through when we pray hard, but also, number two, when we praise God. How could you go through life and not want to just praise God? God's done so much for us. Praise him for pulling you through a mess. Praise Him for waking you up this morning. Praise Him for giving you a purpose. Somebody said it this way, only Jesus can turn a mess into a message. Only Jesus can turn a test into a testimony. Only Jesus can turn a trial into a triumph. Only Jesus can turn a victim into a victory. He is worthy to be praised. Turn over to Psalm 28. We're going to take a couple, couple minutes and just read through a few of these verses. There are 216 verses in the Bible that mention praising God. And some of them two or three times in that same verse. But Psalm 28, verse 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him and I am helped. Therefore my heart greatly rejoiceth and with my song will I praise him. Why? Because he's my strength and my shield. Psalm 34 and verse 1. Turn, turn with me to these as you can. Psalm 34, verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Psalm 43 and verse 5. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. Psalm 52 and verse 9. I will praise thee forever because thou hast done it, and I will wait on thy name, for it is good before thy saints. Psalm 107 verse 8, verse 15, verse 21, verse 31. All say the exact same thing. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. Psalm 118.21, I will praise thee, for thou hast heard me, and art become my salvation. And the Bible goes on and on and on, 216 times with verses of praise. We ought to be praising the Lord. One of the reasons that we get into a spiritual rut is because our minds are not focused on the right things. Oh, we start following the world's entertainment. We start following the world's and enjoying the world's crowd. We might even start missing church in favor of of things the world is offering us. Our focus is not on reading the Word of God in prayer. Our focus is not on praising our Savior. Our focus is not on winning the lost. The wrong focus and that lack of focus can get us into a spiritual ditch, so to speak. 
As long as we're focused on those things, we can never have the relationship with God that He wants to have with us because they're, they're contrary to His heart. One of the best ways to get into the right mindset is to just start praising God. And we're talking about getting out of a spiritual slump this morning. And of course, pray hard. And it's hard to pray when you're in that spiritual slump. But one of the ways that you can start learning to pray when you're in a spiritual slump is start learning to praise when you're in that spiritual slump. How do you do that? Well, I'll tell you what happens most of the time. One of the reasons we get into a spiritual slump is because we are following the world's entertainment. We're listening to the world's music. And those things are just slowly, maybe not all at once, but slowly pulling us away from God. And the farther we get away from Him, the deeper we get into those things. And then the next thing we know, we're right in the middle of those things with no way out. And that's when we get into that spiritual slump where we just feel like we can't pray. Where we just feel like we don't want to praise God. How do you get out of that? How do you start the process? Of course you've got to pray, but still many times you don't feel like praying. So how do you start praising God then? Well, one of the best ways is just get a good godly music CD and let it play. Have a, have a, have a go-to song that you listen to that will get you in the right spiritual frame of mind. I've got a few songs like that in my playlist where when you just really need to get into that spiritual mindset, boy, you put that song on and it's hard to, it's hard to, it's, it's hard to not start praising God. One of those songs is the song that we use for our, uh, we play it every time we do our communion service, Love, Let Him Go. How can you not thank the Lord for what He's done for when you think about the fact that He gave up everything for us? And oh, there's so many other songs that we could listen to, but praise is a powerful thing. And sometimes when prayer is hard and you just don't have the words to, stay, to say, spiritual songs have the tendency to be able to say the things for you that you can't bring to your own lips. They bring you to your knees in awe of everything that God did and is doing in your life. Perhaps you've heard this song, You reached down your hand for me, saved my soul and set me free, gave me life eternally. Lord, you've been so good. The chorus says, Oh, Lord, you've been so good. Through my troubles and my trials, you've understood. You met every need like you said you would. Lord, you've been so good. I'll shout it from the mountaintop, this old-time salvation that I got. I'll tell the world, no matter what, Lord, you've been so good. You picked me up when I was down, set my feet on higher ground. No greater happiness I have found. Lord, you've been so good. I'll tarry here and sing my song until the day God calls me home to a mansion all my own. Lord, you've been so good. Now when I enter heaven's door, I'll walk upon that golden shore and I'll praise your name forevermore. Lord, you've been so good. Our God is not a God of just enough. He's a God of extravagant blessings and our heart's deepest desires and God-given dreams are a mechanism for him to accomplish great things in us far beyond what our human minds can even comprehend. If you want a way to get out of that spiritual rut, just sit down and start listing all the things that God has done and is doing for you in your life. It'll be hard not to just praise him for his goodness. Now we can power through when we pray hard, when we praise God, and lastly, press on. I mentioned it last week, but this life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. Sometimes in the middle of that marathon is when things get difficult. And you start going through your mind, why did I even do this in the first place? I'll, I'll tell you exactly what I thought the first time that I ran a marathon. I was, um, I was a freshman in college. That's when I ran my first marathon. And it was in June in Indiana. And June in Indiana is not usually bad weather-wise, but that day happened to be, it's, it was like 80-something degrees at the start of the race at like 7.30 in the morning. And by the time I finished, four hours later, 
it was it was in the 90s and I can remember to this day what was that 20 20 years ago thinking why did I ever decide to do this I am never doing this again this is ridiculous this is stupid I mean all those thoughts are going through your mind I should just stop this is crazy look what I'm doing to my body how do I you know look how do I feel this way and I had never run a marathon before so I was very under prepared and sure enough I ended up running three more marathons later on like after I said I never would but I got done and at the end of that race I, I like I said I hadn't prepared properly so I wasn't ready to run that distance I got to the end of that race and on the way home I had to get uh, I, I was riding with a friend of mine who was a race in uh, it actually started at the College Football Hall of Fame and ended on the 50-yard line of the Notre Dame Stadium. So it was a pretty cool ending to the race, but I didn't, I didn't get to enjoy it because by the time I got to the end of that race, I was cramping up so bad. And uh, on the way home, I had to get the, my friend to pull over so I could throw up on the side of the road. And I got, he dropped me off back at my house. I was still living at home at the time. It was the summer after I graduated from high school, and so I was still living at home. And I got in there, and I don't know if Brian remembers this or not, but I laid on the living room floor for probably three or four hours. I had nothing left in me, so I'm dry heaving. Uh, and every time I dry heave, every muscle in my body would cramp up. So, uh, uh, and it was just, I was like, uh, uh, you know, just curl up in the fetal position on the floor. And I said, this is ridiculous. Why would I ever do that to myself again? But I say all that to say that sometimes in the middle of that race, that's when those thoughts start going through your mind. Why am I doing this? What does it count for? In eternity if I keep serving God what does it count for oh yeah I get a crown at the end of this but the problem is we have such a light view of eternity we have such a low view of who God really is and who we're really serving and oh, we can imagine what heaven's gonna be like but I can promise you that we have no idea what heaven's gonna be like we have no idea how it's going to feel to be able to take those crowns that we earn and lay them at the feet of Jesus Christ to thank him for what he's done for us and we have such a low view of God and such a low view of eternity that we don't live for those things. And so those thoughts creep into our mind when we're in the middle of our Christian race. Why am I doing this? It doesn't count. And sometimes we get off of that marathon course and we get down into the ditch and we're running through the mud instead of running on the road and going to spiritual victory. But what do you do when you get in the middle of that race? Just press on. Just keep putting one foot in the front of the other. Were you going to have difficulty? Sure. Will you feel bad from time to time throughout the race? Absolutely. Will there be times when you just feel like quitting and giving it all up? Yes. Yes. We all go through that. When I was at Gill Grove, I was an assistant pastor there for 10 years, and we played a lot of basketball. They had a gym there, and so we played uh, We played at least once a week. Sometimes we played on, on nights after church and things, and I love being on a team with Wes Smith, and, and some of you know who he is. He, he's been, he grew up at Gilgrove, but I always wanted to be on his team. He, he didn't score very many points, but he was an excellent point guard, and still is. I say was. He still is. He's about maybe seven or eight years older than me, but when my three-point shooting starts getting off, and that's what I do the best is, is shoot three-pointers, and when my three-point shooting would start getting off, he would always tell me, just keep shooting. Just keep shooting, and I'm thinking, I don't want to keep shooting. I'm missing everything. And I come down, and I shoot another three, and I miss. And we'd be running back, that's all right, just keep shooting it, just keep shooting it. And so I would. 
And what would happen is eventually you'd get that feeling back and then you'd hit three, four, five in a row and you'd, your team wins the game. I love playing with him because he, he always, you know, he was always encouraging, keep shooting, keep doing it, keep, keep taking those shots. It'll get back on, you'll start to hit again. I may miss a few times, but just keep shooting. It'll feel right again. I'll get that feeling back and sure enough, it, it almost always came. Don't quit, keep pressing on, it'll get better. You'll remember why you started. Oh, you might not right now because you're in that spiritual rut and you feel like you're running through mud and like your feet can barely move and you're running, why am I doing this? What's the point of living for God? But I can promise you that if you start praying, if you start, if you start praising God and you just determine, I'm going to press on, I'm going to press through this, then what's gonna happen is you'll remember why you started. You'll get that feeling back, and it's not all about a feeling, but it sure feels good to be right with God. It sure feels good to be on the top of that spiritual mountain. Someone said, nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of uneducated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are important. Turn over to Philippians chapter 3. While you're turning over there, I'll mention this too, because it's not just about determination. Oh, the world will tell you, just, just keep going. You know, how did you attain this great victory? How did you win the gold medal? Oh, I just kept pushing on. There were days when I didn't feel like going. I just kept pushing on. I summoned that inner strength and I just pushed myself. I willed myself forward. And in, in a physical sense, that's a good thing to do. You can't do that 100% spiritually because it's not all about us. In fact, it's not about us at all. It's all about Jesus Christ. And the more we rely on Him, and that's why I said that we should be praying and praising before we just determine that we're going to press on. But that has a lot to do with it too. There's a lot of people who just curl up and quit in their spiritual life. They lose that determination. They lose that perseverance. And there's also a lot of people who go into the ditch on the other side of the road that rely completely on perseverance and completely on determination and nothing on the Lord Jesus Christ. There's ditches on both sides of the road. We need to keep it between the ditches. But the Bible says in, in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I am also apprehended of Jesus Christ. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's Paul saying, you know what? I've got a lot of other spiritual sides to that thing, but I'm just going to press on. I'm just going to keep going for Jesus Christ. Maybe you're in a spiritual rut. Maybe you don't know how to get out of it. Just determine that you're just going to keep putting one foot in front of the other. I'm just going to keep serving God. I'm not going to get out of the ministries that I'm in. I'm not going to stop telling people about Jesus Christ. I don't feel like doing these things right now because I'm in a spiritual rut. And you may not say it that way, but that's, that's the mindset that we go through. But you know what? I'm just going to keep going. Things are going to get better. Things are going to turn around, and you'll remember why you started those things in the first place. Seems like every other day, we see someone slip away from the paths of righteousness and truth. But we must keep pressing on to the fight down here is won. There's a crown of life awaiting you. There are times I'm feeling down. Seems I am 
often losing ground in the battles of life from day to day. But my loved ones who have died echo hope from the other side, and it seems I can almost hear them say, Press on. Heaven's not so far away. Press on to the everlasting land of endless day. Press on through the power of God's amazing grace. The time is drawing nigh to bid this world goodbye. Very soon we'll see our Savior face to face. Don't stop grinding. Don't let your legs stop moving. Press on. Tell you what happens in the middle of a marathon. Your legs get rubbery. And you don't feel like you can put one foot in front of the other. But you know what? You just keep plodding. Keep going. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. The purpose of the message this morning is not necessarily to preach on prayer or to preach on praise or to preach on continuing, but to help us get through a rough spot in our spiritual lives. If you're not going through one right now, then just wait. It's coming. We all go through ruts because you can clench your fist and you can hold it tight, but you can't hold it like that forever. Eventually, you've got to relax a little bit. Sometimes when we relax, we relax too much. We end up in one of those spiritual ruts that we just don't know how to get out of. If you're not going through one right now, then you're going to. And then the message will be for you too. I came across this hymn. It was in an old, old hymn book, and I've seen it in a couple of the new-ish ones. But this hymn book that I, I mean, it's, it didn't even have music in it. It was from like the 1880s or something like that. Oh, the bitter pain and sorrow that a time could ever be when I proudly said to Jesus, all of self and none of thee. Yet he found me. I beheld him bleeding on the accursed tree, and my wistful heart said faintly, some of self and some of thee. Day by day his tender mercy, healing, helping, full and free, brought me lower while I whispered, less of self and more of thee. Higher than the highest heavens, deeper than the deepest sea, Lord, thy love at last hath conquered, none of self and all of thee. Isn't that so much like the progression that we go through in our lives? When we get into a spiritual rut, it's all about us. When we can change our mindset, when we get on that spiritual mountain, it's all about Him. When you get into a spiritual rut, there's a way out. Sometimes it might not seem like it, but there is. It's not easy, but the way out is simple. Pray hard. Praise God. And press on. You'll remember why you started. It'll make it all worth it. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for the time that we can spend together here this morning. I think sometimes when we go through difficulties in our life, like what we're going through now, none of us are affected by the coronavirus, but we all are because we're stuck at home, we're stuck away from church, we can't go do the things that we normally do in our lives, and sometimes that, that, that lack of consistency causes us to get into a rut spiritually too. That's why the need for the message this morning, I believe, Father, and I don't know exactly who it was intended for, but you do. And so for those that needed the message this morning, and it's what a great reminder it is to myself, God, I needed the message this morning. Pray that you'd help us to just start praying, just start praising, and just keep pressing on for you. We'll get out of it. We'll, we'll be through this soon. We'll remember why we started. 
But God, for those who are in a spiritual rut this morning, I pray that you'd help us to get out. Pray that you'd help us to go on and do more for you. And we'd be excited about serving you and that when we come out of the other side, we'd be more enthused than ever to live for you and to do what's right, to serve you, to love you, to work for you. God, I pray that you'd speak to hearts this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. As the piano plays, take a couple minutes where you are. The Lord's spoken to your heart. Maybe you're in that spiritual rut. You just don't even know how to start. Pray. Pray. That's step number one. Just pray. Just pray and ask Him to help you get out of that spiritual rut. He will. He will. And I know we're in a, when you're in a spiritual rut, you're in that point where you just don't feel like praying. That's when you need to pray the most. Just start praying. Just start praying.